If you've ever heard someone offer a scripture verse at the wrong time, or wanted to punch a wall after hearing someone say, God must have needed another angel to a grieving mother, you're going to appreciate today's episode. Natasha Smith joins me on a conversation about grief. This is a personal one for me because I share about a deep, unexpected grief in my own life. And as a reminder to those of you who are in the Patreon community, there is some bonus audio with Natasha in which I share one of the kindest things I heard from a friend after I lost my mom. To listen to that or to sign up for access, go to patreon.com slash untangledfaith. I'll have a link for you in the show notes. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. Natasha, I am thrilled to have you join me today on the Untangled Faith Podcast. I've been looking at your book and I also noticed that we have a mutual friend in Mary DeMuth. She is one of the most wonderful humans. So I'm thrilled that she helped you on your book journey. Is this your very first published book traditionally? Yes, it is. Um, First, thank you so much for having me um, today, sitting with you. But yes, my very first book. And yes, I love Mary. She's she's like, I don't know, is the word Sherpa the right one? She's like a book doula. She's just like all of the things. Of That's hold your a hand good description. Through yeah, I think doula is good because they're in the birth process, so she can help you <laughs> hold your hand, <laughs> rub That's your back, so bring you ice chips <laughs> as you are getting ready to birth this book into the world, which is coming out very soon. I've got it sitting next to me. Can you just sit with me? by Natasha Smith. Your name is on this book. Oh, look at it. It's a real book. It exists in the world. How does it feel to have somebody hold your book that you've never even met? Like, I know, like I'm getting really, literally tears are coming out of my eyes. Wow. Yeah. It's surreal. Yeah. I was, as I was preparing for our conversation, it probably should have dawned on me if I was a smart person that I would feel emotional. The, The whole idea of grief Um, But, you know, reading your story, Natasha, you have, this isn't a theoretical thing for you. This is like real lived out hard stuff, Mm -hmm. things you have learned, not just from reading a book, but by living life. I would love for you to share just a little bit about your story. Some of those griefs that brought you to a place of saying, "I, I think I have something to say about grief. Yeah. My story starts literally in my teen years. And and so it's over 30 years plus of sitting with grief and sitting with all these stories that I'm now beginning to, will be out in the world <laughs> next month. But so it includes miscarriage, includes a stillbirth, the loss of my literally... I guess my immediate, half of my immediate family, two of my Mm -hmm. older sisters, my dad, the murder of my nephew, which was super hard because all of my nieces and nephews are like my kids. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the list just goes on. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading those introductory, that introductory chapter chapters. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, man, there could be a book of the Bible. (laughs) You could have been in Job. 
That's oh, what I'm gosh. saying. <laughs> the things just kept coming. Yeah. So many heavy things. What I found interesting is as you start to frame the grief journey is that you, in quoting somebody, I believe you said that grief starts when you start to let go a little bit about what that means, because that doesn't necessarily happen at the same time as someone dies or someone walks out the door. Tell me about the difference between that, what that means. This thought really came to me when I was kind of walking alongside my dad and just his cancer journey and how five years prior to that, we had the same type cancer diagnosis scare. And so walking through a year of like testing and all this, all these things, and he actually received like a clean bill of health at that time. And then five years later, it pops back up again. But I know, and I can sense that it's bad this time, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so it didn't start there. It didn't start when we got the diagnosis. It started like the five years prior. Yeah, and yeah. it started, it starts when you look someone in the face that you have to start letting go. And the mm-hmm. thing about that particular phrase is it's, it doesn't only apply to the loss of a loved one. Yeah. I'm doing this same, I'm going through these same steps. I have a senior this year. Yeah. Over the years, I've been letting go a little mm-hmm. and that's grief. Tell me about the complicated factors of learning to let go when you are grieving something in community with people that are on a different timeline or mm. maybe aren't even ready. They're in denial maybe, or it's just too painful yeah. to go there. How do you work through, even I would say this happens in families a lot, Yeah, families where you have a similar loss and maybe loss of a life or loss of a dream. And one person is actually ready to grieve it, start that process. And the other is, nope, can't go there. Tell me about that. Yeah. Thanks for that question. I put it in context of a dance with grace. Mm. It's like a receiving and giving of grace during that time because I've been there obviously like all of these a lot of these losses most of them involve I have one living sister so we grieved both grieved different when we lost my dad and my other two sisters and it is literally we grieve different and we have to be able to make or for me what I've learned personally is making space and keeping a space where we allow other people to grieve differently than we are without judging them and say, well, you should do, you know, X, Y, Z. Because even I can take my sister, for example, she went to my dad's grave every day, Mm. like every single day. I didn't go to my dad's grave site for three years. Oh, wow. At first thought, I was like, oh, that's a little extreme, but it's not. It wasn't for her because that's the way she grieved. And it's like, we have to be able to make space for and grace, give grace to those who just grieve differently than we do. And so, I I mean, I've walked this thing out and continue to walk this out with just making space for my loved ones who are really on this grief journey with me, um, sharing a lot of these same losses that are within the book. So Yeah, it 
I have some personal experience with grief myself. And I hadn't really thought about that as I, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start thinking about this as I read this book. But your stories about being in like a hospital waiting room mm. and seeing the grief around you and just how your experience in sitting in those rooms gave you such a deep compassion and a, like this crazy thing of, oh, no, the Holy Spirit's asking me <laughs> just to walk, yeah. up, walk across the room and offer prayer for somebody. What a holy room and intensive care, you know, waiting room is. What a holy space family waiting areas are in the hospital. I sat in a waiting area after my mom had an MRI because she had a headache and we let her, um, you know, it takes forever for things in the hospital. They finally got her to have her MRI mm -hmm. and she was exhausted. And so my dad and I, and a friend of hers were like, okay, we're going to leave her to finally sleep. She's going to get to sleep. We're just going to go in the waiting area. And we were hanging out like even in just a little lobby area. And while we were sitting there, my mom's doctor called and said, Hey, we got the results. It's a little tricky. There is a tumor we see it's not, we don't think it's cancerous, but she's on blood thinner and this mm. is tricky. Wow. Yeah. How do we, you know, and so they're like, we are going to move her to the ICU because she needs to be monitored and we're going to figure out what we can do while we we're on the phone with the doctor sitting there. We heard a code call, which is really fat, really an interesting situation when you are in a hospital because they don't give like a particular room number. I think there must yeah. be a reason for that because it would alarm Probably. the wrong people, mm -hmm. but a code called and everybody ran down the hall and I remember our doctor on the phone being saying, oh, yeah, when there's a code called, this usually happens twice. So let's let them run by, <laughs> call the code again. We finished our conversation. We wrapped it up. And then my my dad was like, you know what? Somebody's in trouble. We should pray for them. And so we just took a chance. We took some time to pray. And then we walked down the hall to check on my mom. All those people that had run down the hall earlier were had run to her room. <sighs> And we stood there and had a moment of, oh, oh this is mom's room. <laughs> and a, a security guard says, hey, are you the family? Why don't you go sit down? Somebody will come. Someone will come talk to you. So, you know, we spent that evening then waiting for what happened. And like the thing we thought, the thing the doctor said might be the worst case scenario we think happened. And that sort of feeling of, I don't even know what they just said to me and what that yeah. means. Like what is unresponsive and unconscious, but sitting downstairs then in that room of waiting and with other people around, it felt heavy and holy. Hmm. And I want you to just share a little bit. I'm like a disaster. emotionally. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it together. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> What has your experience been like on like different sides of sitting in those rooms and how you have seen and felt God and felt grief in those rooms? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For one, who, who likes waiting rooms? We don't like to yeah. be there, right? We're there for a reason and right. it's typically not the best, um, you know, of circumstances. And so I've been in so many and, um, 
you know, the instances in which I've mentioned in the book is when I'm walking out that journey with my dad in particular. And I don't know if it's because of life experiences or previous things that I've experienced with grief, but God has given a better awareness of what is happening to other people. Because if you think about it, when we come in, when we go with our loved ones or whoever, or friend or whoever we are with, our focus is really on them. What's going on with them or ourselves? Like I have X, Y, Z to do. And so I really feel like God just had given me an awareness in that time frame in that year of going back and forth to the doctors. And so when I would go into these waiting rooms, it, it wasn't that I was looking for it, but I would go in and it's okay. Someone's there crying with their hands to their face. Who can ignore that? Right. And so I don't know if it was, I feel like it was just like a divine connect, intervention. I don't know. The person needed someone right there and then and there and God provided. But mm. so I found myself in these situations yeah. and, and even when the room was full and the Holy Spirit was like, oh, pray for him. Like, oh my gosh, no, I want to do this. But I just know that it was what they needed at the time. And again, I can't recall exactly what I prayed. Yeah, But I know that it met their need at the time. And so all I can do, like looking back on it, is to say it was God moments. But I I couldn't have orchestrated it. So I can only say that they were like, God orchestrated it. Yeah, I would say I have never felt like my heartbreak so much. And like the heavy presence of the Holy Spirit as in a place like the intensive care hmm. waiting room. Natasha, I'm so no, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, it's okay. Yeah. This was an irretrievable situation for my mom. The thing that they thought would happen had happened. Like she had a massive bleeding while they were waiting. Like she was on blood thinner. Yeah. They don't put you on blood thinner unless you need to be, but it's like, yeah. It's also not the best thing when you have a tumor that could cause bleeding in your brain. And so like they checked on her and she was unresponsive. But while we were waiting for that final MRI and then after we got it, we stood, my dad had called some friends from church, elders, pastor, family and friends. And we stood there at my mom's bedside. And I remember my dad just saying, wake up, Carol, and just begging God for a miracle. And we knew the miracle we wanted, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah, we're like, yeah, 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 heaven's great. <laughs> but we're not there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And my mom didn't live. Hmm. And my dad had to make that decision. God can do a miracle whether we turn these machines off or not. Yeah. But I'd love for you to speak to that person that had to make that decision and is like, is it okay for me to talk about my grief? Is it okay for me to talk about my conflicted feelings (laughs) about two things can be true about what I think about God and grief at the same Mm -hmm. time? I'm mad at him, but I also love him. It's such a hard place to be in. It's so very hard. And so much of what you said resonates with me. We had come to the same kind of crossroads with one of my sisters and having to 
make that decision and having the same exact type conflict. If God is a miracle worker, yeah. we, tr- we, we believe that we turn these machines off that she could live because he's yeah. just that powerful. Yeah. And we did that and she didn't. And so one thing that I have come to know and learn for myself is that God loves us so much that we can come to him with every single thing yeah, or not come to him. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I've been so mad. I've yeah. been so mad. Yeah. I've been so mad. Like why? And almost to the point of this whole world is sick. It's like a sick joke. Yeah. yeah. I don't like it at all. I, I don't like love there it were times where I was like, okay, God, <laughs> I get it. You did this. You owe me. Uh, right. You know, <laughs> I should get a pass now. Yeah. On yes. all the other things. It's yes. one thing for you to take someone I love, but it's another then for my kids to have colds and not be able to sleep through the night. Hey. While I'm trying to, and all these other <laughs> crappy things. What good is that, God? How are you glorified in that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That literally, though, that, that, those thoughts and that type of mindset, because, you know, of some of the, just the hard things, but the, like I said, just having the ability to come before a holy God who made the entire universe and say, God, this is, this sucks. And this is crappy. Yeah. And I don't like you right now. (laughs) We can say that. Is that okay? Yeah. We can say it. Can we say that inside a church building? Is that allowed? Maybe not on the (laughs) microphone. We can say it in in our seat. We can say in the lobby. Depends on, like, Can make we sure say you have it a safe room. Luck dinner? Can we say it <laughs> in the church basement over potato salad yes. and hot dish and banana yes. pudding? Can I yeah. say that? Yep. Make sure your, your, your community is a safe community and you can yeah. say it. Now for a quick break. Not long ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, faithful counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Now back to the show. One thing you said that was so fascinating to me in this is that there are societal norms for grief. And it's not the same in every culture, not the same in every community. That's true. And what we consider normative in dealing in the timeline, when we should get over things, when it's Mm -hmm. okay to grieve, the places that are okay, the people that are okay Mm -hmm. to grieve around. Tell me what you've learned with that and how you've navigated that and what, how that is helpful for us to know. I guess like finding your club almost. Yeah. Finding your people, your tribe, but it's for in the sense of 
those who have known suffering, who have known yeah. pain, who have known grief, they're going to understand a little bit better. Yeah. And the thing about what I'm learning, though, is nothing against those who haven't. Yeah. Because I used to be like, oh, why don't you understand? What because is wrong with her? Why yeah. doesn't she get it together? Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. 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 I used to get offend- offended if someone really didn't have the capacity to take time with someone who was hurting. Yeah. And because I think it's, it's a gift, but what I'm learning too, it can be learned. We should yeah. be like G- more like Jesus with compassion and compassion and empathy for others and those who are hurting. And that's one of the points of my book. Can you just sit with me? Yeah. And so, yeah, just, yeah. You can find people that are able to grieve in a way, and they're comfortable with you grieving yeah. the way that you're grieving. And yes. that is such a gift. Yes. And maybe permission to not have to educate everyone around you yes. on how to grieve, on how to allow you to grieve right. while you're in the middle of grieving. That's, thank you for saying that. Maybe, That's so good. maybe you can circle back with them later. <laughs> but when you're deep in grief, it's okay to, if your dad can't handle your grief about your mom's death, He's going to have to figure that out maybe from someone else. Yes. And as hard as that is, like that was a deep grief for me because sometimes Mm -hmm. when you lose somebody, there are these secondary griefs that just absolutely surprise you because other people may disappear because they can't handle it. Yeah. So you have to find the people that haven't disappeared. Yes. And yeah. Yeah, say what you're going to say. I was just going to say that it's so powerful this, that you mentioned that because one thing, one huge thing is that you, that we grieve, which is so crazy, but we grieve that our circle or our tribe or friends or whatever is not who we expected it to be. Yeah. And while you're reeling from the primary thing, that secondary thing can be just feel just so mean. It's so yeah. wrong. I don't know if you have ever read anything from Dr. Diane Langberg. She's a therapist. She wrote the book, Redeeming Power. She's worked with a lot of abuse victims. And I had the chance to talk to her about a year ago, a little more than a year mm-hmm. ago. And I said, I feel like I've hit the grief deductible. <laughs> Haven't I hit my grief deductible? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Well, I've had enough. God, this is good. Like I've hit the deductible and she was so kind and gracious. And she said, yeah, but even Jesus didn't get a pass. Oof. His own son. Yeah. So true. If anybody deserved, had hit the grief deductible, Jesus is God's own son. Like God like sacrificed his own son. Yeah. Tell us about how that has been. The theology of understanding that we have a suffering sage, savior, somebody that has not, that has experienced that we've experienced been an encouragement to you and how it can encourage others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel when we go through these losses and we just suffer these such hard things, it's so easy, like easy to feel like we're totally alone and that absolutely no one, no one, even God understands. You don't understand how I'm feeling right now. You don't. But if we read our Bible, we understand that he does understand that he is a man of sorrows, that he is the one who is acquainted with grief. Like for he, real. For real. real thing. Yeah. Actual for real yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so it, it is an encouragement. And one of the verses that I've just held really close and tight, which I can't even tell you what the chapter and verse or the yes, verse number is, it. but mm-hmm. it's where else can I go? Yeah. Lord, the disciples are telling Jesus, where else can I go, Lord? Yeah. You are the ones who have the words of eternal life. Yeah. And so when I, when I feel like, oh, who can, no one understands. Oh, you, Lord, you understand. Because you have felt every single thing that we have felt. You've experienced everything that we have experienced. And so that is just, to me, just something that we can really just hold on to as an encouragement. Like we're never alone. Like he's literally always sitting with us because he's with us. Your book is such a beautiful, generous invitation. And I see it in two, two different things happening. An invitation to a person who has experienced grief that says it is okay to feel this and process it and just lean into it and grieve, permission to grieve. And the second generous invitation is to the person that wants to be a good friend Mm. to the person that is going through grief. So I would love you to speak to the person that wants to be a good friend. What are some things to just not say? And what can we say instead? I feel like Kate Bowler has done a really good job I'm talking about this sort of thing, but I would love to hear if somebody's, oh, I'm, I don't know what to say. Coach me here a little bit. What, what can I not, what should I not do? What should I do? Take it away. It's going to sound counter probably to what people think, but don't go quoting a bunch of scripture to someone who just Uh has a fresh loss. Yeah. And it's not because they don't love Jesus. It's that they're hurting and they're experiencing all these initial like shock and disbelief and just all these things. And our brains cannot process even the truth that we know in Christ. So a bunch of Yeah, you talk about that a little bit. It's like spiritual bypassing, right? Let's let the person be sad first. Yes, Let them be sad first. So that is a big thing. And even just some of those things where I know I can take like one of my neighbors, for instance, her mom passed. I know we had over a few weeks, we had saw like hospice Mm -hmm. come by or whatever. And then I saw like a funeral flower on the porch and they were new to the neighborhood. But I was like, I have to do something because my heart just was like hurting for them. And so I grabbed some stuff from the grocery store and took to the house and like, Hey, you know, your neighbor across the street, but I just wanted to bring something by. And it's just, so the, the lady, her mom had passed away and she's, Oh, it's my mom. I think she was like 94 and she had been in hospice. So she's given me all these reasons that it's okay Mm -hmm. that her mom died. So it was like more of a, like a nonchalant, like it's okay. And I said, but that still doesn't, it, it doesn't make it less hurtful. Or, and so, so I said all that to say, if someone is supporting someone who's grieving, you don't have to say, if someone was older, say they lived a long life. (laughs) That doesn't, at this given point, that doesn't matter. The person is not no longer there. And to me, even people who live long lives, we have even more time that we're, we had spent with them to grieve more. So anyways, and those sort of things are not helpful. But ways How about, that, can I say, should I yeah. say, God must have just needed another angel? No. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Oh why, why is that 
faulty. Like, why is that problematic? It's so problematic. It's so, especially, and I wanted to say this because it's just popped in my head, especially not to children either. Don't yeah. say that. Yeah. Because... No, God doesn't need another angel. First of all, who, what theology <laughs> says that people turn into angels after they exactly. pass away? Hey, look, yes. Yeah. Let's straighten up the theology right now. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Because God, for one, so the, it puts like an onus on God. God did this. Oh, let's go there. Okay. Let us go there. Because I firmly believe there's a difference between, I wrote this down, Thank you for reading my notes. Ah. Talk to me about the difference between causing pain and using pain, because I oh feel like gosh, yeah. there's a big difference. And I think the theology of it is really important and the like actual application of it. What's the difference between saying that God causes pain and God uses pain? And we're, what are your thoughts on all the things there? I feel like I want to say it's in Lamentations, maybe 33 and 3 or 3 and 33, something like that. But it says God does not bring or cause bad things to happen to us. Yeah. So that's one. He doesn't cause them, but he can use them. And so the same thing with our Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of them who love God and call according to his purpose. All things work together but that doesn't mean everything is good. Yeah. Like all the things are good, but he is not in heaven saying, okay, today, let me just make Amy and Natasha's life the most worst. He's not orchestrating harm against us. Yeah. You know, it's, it makes me think of John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy, but I, God, the Lord has have come so that we might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. And yeah. so is and knowing God's character, we have to know his character or else we'll, we will believe that he is the one who is doing the harm, but he can and will use it. Yeah, I think it's easy to play into that false theology, yeah. faulty theology when we say things like, Everything happens for a reason, or God oh, must have had a reason for it, right? That yeah. is the worst. Don't the worst. say that. But that's a list of things to that. not say. Yeah, because that's, the, that's another one, yeah. Our theology, if you're reading the scripture, bad things are happening in the world yeah. because sin is in the world. Sin, that's in it. a broken world. Yeah. Let's give the credit to Satan Yes. for the things that are broken. Yes. But here's the miracle. Mm-hmm. God redeems things. Yes. He can use it. Mm-hmm. But he didn't, I don't see in scripture. I mean, it's a, we see even in the story of Job where, you know, God can allow things, but it does not seem yeah. to be the actual whole overarching theme of history that God's like, all right, let's do this thing to Natasha and see what yeah. good I can bring from it. Like yeah. people have free will because God wants yeah. people to be able to choose him. But because we have yeah. free will in the world, people can choose bad things and they can get in their cars after being under the influence and they can harm somebody and our bodies are broken because we yeah. are, we live in this world that is broken. And so mm-hmm. it's more complicated than yeah. sometimes those neat bows that we try to wrap around something. Cause I think we mm-hmm. say it because we feel uncomfortable and That's we want to like diffuse that dissonance, that mm-hmm. discomfort rather than just sitting in the comfort. We feel like it's not enough to just sit with somebody. 
Don't right. I have to say something? Yeah. And you, you, don't, you don't. You don't. Have, you don't. You do yeah. not. I can't remember the exact quote, but I know his last name is Peterson, but he says one of the, what do you do at the onset of someone coming to you with who have just experienced like the worst tragedy of their life? Yeah. And he says, what do you say? And he says, nothing. How powerful is that? We overthink wow. it so much. It is hard to sit in silence as somebody that, you know, I'm on a podcast and even when you're doing an interview, like you want to fill the silence. It's true. Even if it's just been like two seconds. It's true. But there is a real power in sitting with your mouth shut with somebody, just having your presence be there. It's holy. That is, that's a really holy thing Mm -hmm. to do, to sit next to someone Tell me about one of the, what is uniquely difficult. You talked about this in your book, the griefs that are invisible. <laughs> there are certain things that are harder to process and harder to grieve for one reason or another. Sometimes it has to do with shame and the reason why the grief, even the thing even happened and others it's because there's some sort of maybe social taboo about talking about it. What are some examples of some invisible griefs and ways you can encourage people with that? Mm-hmm. Um, I provide like a, a, a decent list of those and, and it's, and it's just like a, a snippet, you know, yeah. there, it, it incl- can include so many, so many things. Um, I know my own personal stories an adoption story um, of placing a child into adoptive care. And it, for me, it was just the, growing up in a Christian home, you know, it was just a, so much shame associated mm-hmm. with that and some other types or even divorce, which is when I was researching, I didn't think of it in this way, but even having spoken to a young, a younger lady who had divorced and just how maybe her family was like, we didn't like him anyway, blah, 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 blah. But she was grieving. Yeah. So she couldn't talk to them to say, yeah. no, but I'm sad and I'm hurt and mm-hmm. I wish we were still together because they were. So she had to suffer in silence a little bit because she couldn't talk to her normal support mm-hmm. group about it. And so it's those type of things where, you know, where there's shame, there's guilt, maybe drug misuse, even empty nesting. It's just like a, a large array of different variant losses that are can be deemed like invisible or what is called yeah. disenfranchised grief. Those things are losses that are deemed unworthy of, yeah. of grief yeah. or like it takes away your right to grieve. Like you don't have the right to grieve over that because of your bad decision, but it's just not the case. Every loss is worthy of the grace and space to grieve. Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful thing to say, even during a time where we are dealing with this long lasting effects of a coronavirus pandemic Yeah, yes, and yep. the different ways people have responded to it and the different outcomes that people have had. And to be able to look at somebody that's dealing with some really long, like COVID symptoms and yeah. disability and to be able to say, it's okay for them to grieve that 
And it's not because they necessarily made their wrong decision. Right. Because a, a virus like this is stupid. Yeah. And it does stupid things when people even do the best that they can to take care of their family and their friends. And and it's it's tricky, right? You don't want to look at someone and be like, if they had done X, Y, Z, okay, but maybe not. And who cares in the end when somebody is suffering why they are? That is another point to figure out, to decide if they had done the thing, they would be all right. This is the time to offer generous grace and empathy Mm -hmm. because grief is grief. It does not matter. Yes. It doesn't say it's not less because, well, other someone else's is more. Right. We can get into the comparison of the most generous people. One of the things that I, a story I heard from a friend that I just love so much, my friend in Minnesota, when I lived in Minnesota, She had been talking about her terrible day and she was complaining about it. And then she caught herself and she was like, oh no, Lynn, I'm so sorry. I forgot you're in the middle of dealing with like chemotherapy for stage three cancer. And Lynn said to Catherine, you know what I've learned about things that are difficult? And Catherine was like, what? And Lynn said, the thing that's difficult for you is the thing that's difficult. Yes. It was like, it was just this beautiful thing. She was like, it doesn't matter that I have cancer. It doesn't make your difficult thing easier. Mm-hmm. And I understand that you feel sheepish that you were talking about yeah. it. But just because someone is starving on the other side of the world does not yes. mean that it is that you can't be sad about having a hard time paying your bills, your exactly. medical bills here. Yeah. Someone else's grief that may seem like more legitimate mm-hmm. doesn't mean that yours isn't legitimate. Yes. And what a great gift it is to tell people it's okay that your difficult thing is difficult. Yeah. I want to sit next to, like you say, can you sit with me is the name of your book. I love that so much. Cause I have found that the more hard things that I have gone through, the more I want to sit next to the person. Mm. I want to sit next to the person that's experiencing the hard thing. And I want to sit next to the person that has, Yeah, I want to sit by them. Yeah. Because they are less likely to say stupid things. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. It's true. They're not going to say everything happens for a reason. No, they're not. They're not going to say the Bible verse because they know that although that Bible verse is true, yeah. it is not the time. Yeah. Like, I'll believe it's true. I don't want to hear it right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would love for you to share just a couple hopes that you have about the message of your book, who it is for. And some key messages that you just don't want people to miss as they read this. Yeah. So this book is really for anyone who is suffering from a loss. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the loss of a loved one. Even I I share my many personal examples of my personal loss losses, but it it can be any loss because I truly believe that every loss deserves and needs to be grieved, really, because it's natural for us to grieve um, at every loss. And so it's for anyone who is hurting, grieving, those who feel alone. So my hopes is that people will read it and not feel so alone. There's literally like a real person out there who is walking the same journey that I'm on and also pointing them to the hope that we have in Christ. So that is like 
a big thing is knowing that even when it feels hopeless, when it feels super, super dark, when the grief is just messy and it feels like it's hard to just yeah. make it moment by moment, just knowing that there is there there is hope and sitting with others and sitting with Jesus. Yeah. And even if it takes that moment by moment, step by step type thing, just knowing that they're not alone in this journey and knowing that God is with us always. And also having the, at the end of each chapter, I do provide like some grief exercises and a prayer. It has a lot of practical type elements. And even those who want to understand their grief better, like, why am I feeling this way? Is this okay that I feel this way? So getting some insight. So yeah. So some practical things some theological things and perfectly just a whole bucket load of hope. A bucket load of hope. That is beautiful. (laughs) I love that. Yes, it does have a lot of practical tips in it. And also it comes packaged from a person, you, that doesn't come to this situation, come to this topic lightly. And I think that is so important for those that have experienced really painful things. I just want you to know, Natasha is a safe, kind person, Mm -hmm. loves Jesus, will not beat you over the head with scripture verses. But when you read her talk about what is hard and what is true about Jesus and the world that's stupid broken, she doesn't say it lightly. You've lived it. And it's a really beautiful, generous table that you've set for people. And I just think it's really lovely. So I'm so grateful. When does your book come out? When can we find yes. it? And where can we find it? First of all, you was about to make me cry. But my book, Can You Just Sit With Me, comes out September 26th. It's right around the corner. And you can pre-order it now wherever books are sold. So good. I'm so excited for you. I know that it will be an encouragement to many people as they are making sense, their own sense-making journeys and What a great first book for you to birth into the world. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed chatting with you. I was not expecting to become as emotional as I did in this episode. I shouldn't have been surprised given the topic, but that's kind of how grief works, right? It doesn't play by our neat and tidy rules and timelines. By the time you listen to this, I will have dropped off our oldest at college. Today, as I'm editing the podcast, it's been about a week since that drop off. Y'all, even celebratory things like heading off to college can bring grief. You can be so proud and happy about something and deeply sad. Both things can be true. I'm also sitting here in a lot of physical pain because of a coughing fit that caused a muscle spasm that caused my ribs to feel like they were being stabbed each time I cough or move a certain way. Physical pain can cause grief as well. I share this to say, I don't know what you're going through or who you love that's walking through something difficult, but I want you to have permission to grieve, whatever it is. And I'm honored to sit with you with duct tape over my mouth so I don't say something stupid. Thank you for being the kind of people who sit in these holy places of grief with people and simply love them. If you're on the Patreon community, don't forget to check out the bonus audio. If you haven't already joined us there, you can go to patreon.com slash untangledfaith to sign up as a supporter of the podcast. I've also put together some conversation starters I'm sharing with all levels of supporters. 
If you're on social media, I'd love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter. I will always call it Twitter. Or you can chat with us over on Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. You have made it possible for me to outsource some of the editing to my friend and audio genius, Josh. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsythe, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.